I, uh, I, I love Lisa's story. My wife Linda and I have been here at FAC for, uh, for 22, almost 23 years, and we remember this young woman, Lisa Raymond, when she was here and she would be up here uh, moving through worship and, and singing, and, and, uh, and then she went to China, and then being able to meet her husband, being in a small group with her husband, it's just a great story. I, I just love what they've done and who they are. All right, so, so question. Uh, with two hands up, right, so how many people in the next year uh, will be having a birthday? How many? Two hands up. How many? All right, good. So, so Marty gave me a checklist of things, so now I can say, uh, Marty, yes, they, if there was this point where, thanks, Dennis, there was this point where the entire congregation had both hands up, right? It was a really powerful moment. Uh, so there are other, other things he asked me to check off. I'm, I'm just kidding. All right, so, so birthdays are coming, right? So, so think for a moment about the person in your life that gives you the best gift every, every year, right? So uh, we all have that person who gives us the worst gift, right? And you go, wow, a, a solar-powered hand mixer. You, you shouldn't have. No, I, I mean, really, you, you shouldn't have. Right? But, but think about the best gift that you, that you get on a regular basis from this person, right? Who, who loves you, who knows you, who gives you these things. And, and, uh, and, and think about the time when, when your birthday comes and he, you know that he has just found that thing. He's followed you on Facebook. He's, he's uh, hacked into your Pinterest account. He, he sees what you put on your Finsta, right? So he knows what it is that you want. And, and he's able to get it for you. And he knows that it's going to benefit you and it's going to benefit the people around you too. And so he walks into the, into the, uh, the party and he brings this, this gift. And you recognize that this gift is the perfect size. It's the exact thing that you, that you wanted. It looks like it. It sounds like it. It, uh, it feels like it's the right weight, right? And so you take the gift, you thank him profusely, and you take it and you kind of you, move, you know, move it off to the side and you go back to your party while it falls off. And, and so, so it sits there. And, and so your friends say, well, are you going to open the gift? And you say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll get it. Do you know what's inside of you? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Are you excited about it? Absolutely. Right? And, and it sits there. And so your same friends come back maybe the next week and they say, hey, I thought you were going to open that. You say, oh, oh, I will. You, you excited to open it? Absolutely. You know, and a month goes by, and they come back, and they say, hey, I thought you were going to open that. And then a year goes by, and they say, I thought you were going to open that. And, you, and, you, and, and at that point, it all starts to dawn on you that it's sad that this gift remains unopened. And it's not only sad for you because you would love it. It's sad for the people around you because they would benefit from it. And it's sad for the person who gave you the gift, too, because he, he knows you so well that this would be the perfect gift for you. And I think that's what happens with us as the church when it comes to spiritual gifts. We receive gifts, and sometimes we just leave them unopened. But the gifts are here for our joy and for our strength. And so as we get into this this morning, looking at 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to talk about that. And so the main idea that everything, kind of the coat hanger that everything's hanging from is, that, is this. When you use your gifts, the church gets stronger. All right, so I want to pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into Scripture. Uh, God, thank you so much for today, for this group of people. Lord, thank you for their past, their present, and, and I'm excited about their future and my future in you, God. And I pray that today would be just this awesome time of, of enjoyment and laughter and seriousness and your word, and they would all be melded together in a way that we as the church would be made stronger through our understanding of gifts and then through our future use of these gifts, God. So we ask you to just 
Come into the space and fill us, Lord. Clarify our minds, clarify our hearts, Lord, before you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so anybody know the average attention span of a, of a human being right now? Uh, I can't, can't hear the number just, just quite right, but it's eight seconds. Eight seconds, right? Eight seconds. Uh, average assumed attention span of a goldfish, nine seconds. Just... Just saying. So, so we have uh, 26 verses in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to read them. All right, so we're going to get into them section by section, but, but uh, maybe a little bit much for us to be able to handle at this point, 26 whole verses. So. Uh, but I do want to talk about uh, the spiritual gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12. Spiritual gifts are listed in the Bible in four major places. So Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, kind of four main points. And, and then some other places in the Bible we can find some other spiritual gifts. And, and so in light of these spiritual gifts, I want to talk about just three quick things about this. So the first thing is that the Apostle Paul wrote most of these lists. All right, so Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, he wrote a uh, list of spiritual gifts. And so in these spiritual gifts, each list, if you notice, if you go back and look at them, which I would recommend that you do, just take a look through these, these four different passages, you'll see that each one of these lists is different. Some things carry across all of them, some things carry across none of them. And I think it's just God's way of saying, look, if I were to make this list up today, if I were to anoint uh, Paul now in today's day and age to write out these spiritual gifts, the list would be different because it's not necessarily a conclusive list. And so today we might see things that didn't exist in Paul's time, like somebody has a spiritual gift of photography, right, where our hearts are just bent and broken because we see what they've been able to do and we're spiritually affected by it. Or spiritual gift of media, right? How many times have you sat in a theater and seen something happen on a screen and you're just different walking out and you're able to praise God in a different way, right? So, so our list would be different. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that some of the gifts are maybe a little less tangible, okay? And, and some things are really evident, like, like the gift of mercy, but some things are a little less tangible, like it's being able to speak in tongues. And so there are four or five gifts that, that are uh, charismatic gifts. And so the uh, charismatic gifts would include the gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing, spiritual gift of, of uh, miracles, of speaking in tongues, like I mentioned, and then spiritual gift of interpreting those tongues. And so I just want to talk about that just a little bit. So, so if you really like theology, perhaps this would be a piece that, that you tune into a little bit more. Because there are two different groups when it comes to spiritual gifts. And one group is a cessationist, and the other group is the continuationist, okay? So the cessationist thinks that some spiritual gifts have ceased. And so uh, they think that because of 1 Corinthians 13, 8, which I'll read, because of this verse, the gifts have ceased. And so this is what it says. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And so cessationists believe, based on that and some other places in Scripture, that these spiritual gifts have just stopped. Right? They, they had an opportunity to cease. They did cease, and, and they're over. So those gifts just, just don't exist anymore in our current era. But continuationists believe the opposite, that since God doesn't change, neither does he limit his gifts. And so... Uh, this isn't a big step for you, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 8 is followed by verses 9 and 10, right? So verses 9 and 10 say this, and this is a major argument against cessationism. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And so that perfect speaks of Jesus' return. And so when the perfect comes, and Jesus comes and returns victorious, he will make everything new. 
And when he makes everything new, then there's no need for these gifts anymore. There's no need to speak in tongues or, or uh, be able to prophesy or, or uh, do miracles or things like that because Jesus has come. He's made everything new. There's, it's just not necessary anymore. And so we as a church and as a denomination, we land closer to the continuationist camp than we do to the cessationist camp. And so I'm not going to get too far into this. Pastor Marty talked about this two weeks ago. And so uh, for us, we're, we're going to look at just these gifts. We won't deal too deeply in with each individual gift. And so I just wanted to speak to that. Cessationist, continuationist, and, uh, and the fact that Jesus hasn't come to make everything perfect again yet. And then thirdly, these gifts are for the point of love, right? That, that's it. The point and the purpose of the gift is for love, and it is for the church through you, not by the church for you, okay? Does that make sense? It's for the church through you, not by the church for you. And so as we dig in, uh, we're going to take a look now at 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 1 through 6. And I'll stop every so often and just talk about it. So it says this in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. And we'll just stop right there. So, so now we, com we communicate with people by, by text or by instant message or by uh, email, right? We go back and forth. Well, Paul, in his day, 2,000 years ago, when this was written, these were just letters. And so this is a letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth to say uh, various things. And in response, this letter is in response to a letter that they sent to him. And so there are a few points in 1 Corinthians where he responds, hey, listen, you wrote to me about this, so, so concerning what you ask me about uh, marriage, let me talk to you about that. Or concerning what you ask me about uh, eating foods that were uh, sacrificed before idols, well, let's talk about that. Or, or concerning giving, let's, let's talk about that. He talks about that in chapter 16. So here he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I know you asked me about that, so concerning that, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so, again, Marty a couple weeks ago just talked about how sometimes we need to test for the source of these particular gifts. And so... Uh, if we think about what happened, you know, if, if Paul were here, he might say, look, don't forget what happened with Moses, right? Moses had this gift that God gave him, and so he was able to just do these incredible miracles. So he, he threw down his rod. Do you remember this uh, story when you were in Sunday school, right? He throws down his rod, and it turns into a snake. And then the magicians standing in front of Moses and in, in front of Pharaoh said, uh, all right, well, that's not so bad. And they throw down their staff, and that thing turns into a snake. Remember this? And then Moses' snake uh, eats up the magician's snakes, and then Moses grabs that thing by the tail. How about that's a little scary? And it turns back into a rod, right? Uh, he's saying that. And then Moses, the first plague, we get to the first plague. Moses takes the river Nile and, and turns it into blood. And the magicians say, well, we can do that too. And then turns the, uh, turns the river Nile into blood. And, and, uh, and so Paul is saying, look, there are times— that you get to things that they could come from, from a whole bunch of different sources because uh, there are things in this world that, that are not necessarily under our control. But he's saying when this happens, you, you can test for those things. Just like John says in 1 John 4, you need to test the Spirit. So he's saying, look, no, uh, no one can, can say that Jesus is accursed if they're controlled uh, by something else. And, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except when they're in the Holy Spirit. So that's all he's saying. 
And verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. That Spirit there, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the pneuma, the Holy Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, the Christios, right? Jesus, the Christ, the ruler of all. And there are, same, uh, there are a variety of activities, but the same God. That's Theos, or God the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. And so he's saying that the Trinity is involved in your gifting. Like there's, there's God, the entirety of God is a part of how you were gifted. But we need to realize that out of this list of gifts, there are some that are also seen as requirements and some that are maybe just gifts. And so I just want to talk about the requirements for a second. So you think about this. There are some things, you know, that says we have commands in Scripture, but then you recognize that there are other people that are gifted in those areas. And so I just want to point out uh, four quick things, right? So in Malachi, God says, listen, church, bring in the whole tithe. Test me in this and see how I respond. And so uh, we have a command to give, but there's also someone who has a spiritual gift of giving, and you've seen these people give over and above. Or in Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? So we're commanded to teach, but then there are others who have, and you've seen them, right, the spiritual gift of teaching. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you also are doing, right? So we, we're commanded to encourage, but then I'm sure you've all met that person who has this gift of encouragement where your heart is just different when he encourages you. Right? Or 1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Commanded to show hospitality to people, but then there are some people that just over and above have this gift of hospitality. And it's like there's a baseline, right? Like this dotted line where all these gifts reach up to this point where we're, it's just mandatory. We just have to do these things. And then you meet these people who have gifts over and above that baseline that just, that just affect you. And your heart is just changed. And so I just want to say, because of this, we can't say, well, that's not my gift. You know, your neighbor's house burns down, and you've got a guest house cabana in the back, and they say, hey, you, can we just stay? Well, listen, my gift is not hospitality. So, so therefore, you're just going to have to camp out in that, in that ratty old tent in your backyard until, uh, until your insurance catches up, right? We, we can't do that. Uh, I, I was in a meeting once, and uh, we were talking about how, how um, uh, pastors need to be encouraged, right? Sometimes job gets hard, and so pastors need to be encouraged. And one of the guys uh, in the meeting said, well, I nominate him to encourage you, right? Well, like, that doesn't work, right? We all have to encourage. Some people have this gift to encourage, but no matter what, we have to encourage over and above uh, or up until that baseline. So I'll just share a story with you. Maybe this will help uh, illustrate it with my, with my own family. So uh, anybody in here love to camp? Any, any campers? Right? Not many campers. Nine o'clock, lots of campers. Uh, they get up early, right? So, so my family loves to camp, and we had this trip where we went out to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan for a week about 12 years ago, and, and we just camped. And so I think we have pictures here. Yeah, so, so this is me, right? The closest to me is Thomas, and then my daughter Erica, and then Max with the guns, right? So uh, that's Max on, the, on your left. And, and so we went camping, and you can see there's two tents there. So, so I had—at the beginning of the week, it was a brilliant idea. At the end of the week, it was a terrible idea. Uh, we had this idea that we would have a boy's tent and a girl's tent. And so my wife—I'm sure my wife grew up, and she grew up just with the gift of mothering, just a gifted parent. She doesn't even have to think about it, right? And she just can just 
just parent, and she's so wise and honorable and cares for the kids so well. I did not grow up with that gift, right? I grew up with the gift of blowing stuff up, I think. But, but she grew up with this just nurturing sense. But I still have the responsibility to parent. And this became very apparent throughout the week when there was a boy's tent and a girl's tent. So we would wake up in the morning and she would come out just refreshed. And, you know, Eric is four. She's, she's, uh, she's potty trained. She does everything perfectly. You know, I think at this point, by the age of four, she could probably have her own family. Uh, I, I'm with a two-year-old, barely two, and a barely three-year-old who, who struggle in very, various aspects of, of, of life and hygiene. And so... So we would wake up. She just, she just loved waking up in the morning, right, fully rested. And there would always be a pile of wet clothes and diapers outside of, of the boys' tent. And, uh, and she's like, what, what is going on, right? So, so I shaved during this week. I still remember it. I shaved three times during this week. And, and so how many people have been in a campground bathhouse, right? Right. So, so it would not be a place that you would consider to be uh, germ-free. We'll just, we'll just put it that way. And so Linda and I started to go through this thing of what's more disgusting. We would play that game every time I walked out of the bathhouse. Because the first time I shaved, I'm standing there and uh, shaving in the mirror, right? Mirror in front of me, bathhouse behind me. And Thomas, the little guy, I turn around and there's Thomas with his tongue on the trash can. Just, just standing there, rusty trash can in a campground bathhouse. And he's not moving it at all. It's just like, it's like it's stuck. He's just analyzing it. Like there's just downloading all the flavors of this, of this trash can. So I come out and I tell Linda, and she's like, what is wrong with you, right? So, so that's the first time I shaved. Uh, next time I shave, I'm standing there, and, and I can't, and I, I'm looking, I can't, I can't see Thomas at all. Max is standing there, right? Thomas, I can't find him. Thomas is without a shirt, lying on the floor of the bathhouse, uh, doing apparently germ angels, right? He is just swinging his arms back and forth. This is just the, the greatest thing. It's the most fun he's ever had as a, as a two-year-old. So I am bound and determined at this point to get this right. And so, so uh, we're, we're wash, I'm washing the boys up and, and get them out of the shower. And so I tell, I tell Max, I said, all right, bud, you got to put pants on. So he proceeds to sit down, right? Like, without any clothes on, he sits down right on the floor of the— and I'm like, stop! How can this be so hard? Right? And I'll just say, unfortunately, that those aren't the— like, which one is more disgusting? Like, we, we still have one to go. So, so right, I said I was shaved three times. I don't know what happened. I can't, apparently can't do two things at once. So, uh, again, standing at the mirror, shaving toward the end of the trip, and— uh, and I look in the mirror, and I see Thomas out of, the, out of the corner of my eye, standing over there. And I'm like frozen in time. This is fascinating to me. So he is standing at the urinal, just, just standing there. Now, he's this tall, right? Happens to be that the, that the bottom of the urinal is about this tall. And he is standing there looking at this thing like a scientist, right? Just, just staring at it. And, I, and I'm frozen like this. Like, this should be interesting. Right? Remember... My wife is gifted. I am not, right? He's standing there just looking at it. And then like a military sergeant doing a clean test, he takes his finger and he just wipes it on the, on the rim of it, right? These kids too. I think he's going to grow up to be a scientist. And he stands there and he looks at his finger. 
And I'm still like, you know, I'm still frozen in time here, staring in the... In the he's standing there looking at his finger. And literally, I'm not kidding, this is literally what he does. He swipe test and then, and then taste test of this thing. Okay. Most dis that was the most disgusting one. Uh, so, so my wife, my wife is gifted as a parent. I am not, but I still have a responsibility to get up to the baseline to make sure my kid's not rolling around licking urinals, right? And so, so the same thing happens in the church. We still have a responsibility to encourage, to admonish, to teach, to lead, to love, to give. Like, there are so many spiritual gifts that we have to still do. All right. So, the second thing. Point two, the gifts are given from God. And so let's look at verse seven. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. In verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so he's saying, look, there are all these different gifts. We're not going to dig into each one of them, but it's a great study on your own. But he's saying there are all these different gifts, and the Holy Spirit gives them all in verse 11. And then from there, he says, and I think just some really important keys. One, he says that he, he apportions to each one. And so apportions, like there are, there are different amounts of these gifts. And so some people have this gift that's incredibly significant, and some have it less or so. And so I, sometimes I think of it, you know, um, if we look at Marty's just incredible gift to preach, and you think about a, uh, a car model that you might get as a gift, right? So, so you get this gift of a car model. Marty's gift of a car model, it came unassembled. Marty's now has paint and decals on it. It's complete, right? Uh, someone else might get that gift, and it just shows up in a box. And so, you know, you can say that you have the model— both of them have the model, just one is more complete than the other. And so uh, you might go to Marty and say, look, I, I clearly have the gift of preaching. I need to preach from the, from the front of the pulpit. And Marty would say in his wisdom, he would say, well, that's great. Let, let's start you off in a small group and, and, and let's move you up and let's, let's go from there and, and, and go on Wednesday morning to, to Band of Brothers and maybe you can speak there. And then, and then from there, maybe you can speak at, at the uh, Sage Builders luncheon on, on Thursday afternoons and from there, right? And then, and then maybe if you really feel like this is, let's, let's explore seminary. Like, like Marty went to seminary and, and learned Greek and learned Hebrew and, and learned how to preach and how to teach, right? And so same gift, just apportioned differently. All right. He also says that he gives to each one individually as he wills. And so you might feel, I'm going to date myself here, but you might feel like the Urkel of the Spiritual Gifts High School. Right? So Urkel, uh, for you who are younger, li literally my family last night, we were looking at Urkel videos because my kids had no idea who this, who this guy was. And so uh, from a television show, Family Matters, just this, just this nerdy kid that everybody picked on. And so uh, you might feel like that. And you might say, you, you don't understand me. Like, I've got too much in my past or, or not enough in my present. I don't have any spiritual gifts. But Scripture right here says just the opposite. To each one individually 
as he wills. So, so it comes from the will of God to you and, and through you. And so uh, as we look at that, uh, we have to realize that sometimes those gifts, even if we're aware of them, they can get covered up. They can get overgrown. And, and, and uh, in, in looking at this, I was just reminded of this time. Has anybody here been to the, the Pyramid Club in Philadelphia? I was there. All right, so I was there for a, uh, for a luncheon uh, not too long ago. And, and the Pyramid Club sits in the Mellon Building, which is the fourth, maybe by now if the Comcast Building is high enough, the fifth tallest building in Philadelphia. And it's the Mellon Building. It, it has a pyramid on the top. And, and so it's 50-some stories tall, and 50-plus and stories up is this club that uh, is part of, the, part of the pyramid, right? So it's a, this, this club where you can go and meet. And so I was there for a luncheon. And, and as I was walking around, they have each, you know, four different views, north, south, east, and west of Philadelphia. And on the walls, there are these amazing paintings of the old skyline of Philadelphia. And so we have one of them here. And so you can see, this is an old skyline of Philadelphia as seen from Camden. And so what do you notice about the skyline? What do you, what do you see in the skyline? Churches, right? You see the churches and you see the steeples. And so that, that tallest one right there, that's Christ Church. It's, it's still in Philadelphia. And so I was standing there looking at these beautiful paintings right next to a window where I could look out into the city. And so this is one of the views from the Mellon Building. And so you look out over the park and you look off into the distance and, and you can see, you can hardly see it. So we'll put a circle around it. That's one of the churches. But you can't see it because it's been overgrown by the rest of humanity. It's just sprung up around it. And, and sometimes this is our spiritual gift that, that we maybe we recognize, but it's been overgrown by life in some way. And so uh, I, just, I just want to confess something. I think it's healthy for pastors to confess something to the church and so, or to confess everything to the church. And so I just want to make a confession. There, were, there was something in my past that, that I was asking the church to do that I wasn't doing. And so uh, I, I believe strongly that, that people in the church, people in the body of Christ, not FAC, but people in the body of Christ need to do three things. They need to give, right? So I, I was giving, right? A portion of my income goes to the church and goes into ministry, right? So I was giving. Uh, we believe that people need to be part of the body and, and in a small group. Feel strongly about that. Small groups are a big way. And then, and then they need to serve in some way. And I wasn't I was certainly in a small group, but I, I, I wasn't serving. And this really started to convict me and, and bother me that I wasn't serving. So I started to pray, God, where, where can I serve? Because some, sometimes it just doesn't feel like serving in a place that I work, and I just didn't, just didn't really know what to do. And, and so Warnicia Travasso, who's our children's director and oversees our special needs ministry, she said, um, listen, can you come out to Snowden uh, this coming Friday and just, just help us find leaders? She wasn't asking me to be a leader. She just wanted, uh, wanted me to help her find leaders because it's really a, a group of, um, of people who, who are just gifted and caring, and they just need more of them. And so she wanted more volunteers. So I said, sure, I'll do that. Not, not thinking, not realizing that at the same time I was praying that, uh, that God could show me a place to volunteer and not knowing that these things would overlap. And so, so we walk in, and it's the first night. I've never been there before. I've never been part of this, this population before. I don't know how to act. I don't know what to say. I don't know how I'm going to offend. Like, there's just things I didn't know. And so we walk in. It's bingo night. My family went with me, which was awesome. And, uh, and so there's an open seat at a table, and so I go and sit down. And there's seven special needs adults and myself sitting at this table playing bingo. 
my first experience with this, with this people group. And I'm sitting there, and the guy next to me, his name is Charles, every time he got the right number on his bingo card, he would hit the table and say, yes! He was so excited. I mean, so very excited. And he would turn to me, and he would give me a high five. Every time, through the entire bingo card, through every single game. And I just fell in love with Charles. And I fell in love with the other six special needs adults around the table. And, and I have been a part of this group ever since because as I looked around, I started to realize that something was stirring in my heart. God was saying, look, here's the place where I want you to volunteer. And he said, look around. Like when people drop off uh, people with special needs to Snowden, there aren't many dads. There aren't many men here and there aren't many men in these people's lives. The fortunate ones really have great dads and, and great men involved in their lives, but a lot of them don't. So he said, I want you to come here, and I want you to serve here. And I got to say, I love it. It's on my day off. I come back here. I get to serve with this unbelievable group of people who are dedicated to just ministering to this population and giving people there a respite the caregivers there are respite so they can come and have a cup of coffee or go on a date with their wife or whatever it is. And shameless plug, first Friday uh, of the month, third Friday of the month, just, just show up. It's in the Fellowship Center from 7 to 9. Just, just join us. It's great. It's fantastic. But I realized in that moment that, that, that I was, I had maybe spiritual gifts that God was trying to get through to me that had been overgrown by uh, what he was trying to accomplish in my life. And I had to step past that and find the joy and the strength in the gifts that he give, had given me. And so for me, I realized that the church was clarifying that gift in my life. And when it's a true gift, the church is truly moved. And, and so I just enjoyed that. And you think about it. Uh, think, about, think about Marty as a speaker, right? Marty as a speaker, as a gifted speaker, could probably read the script from a, from a Hollywood movie. And we would go, man, I can't believe how God moved in him. Right? Or somebody with a voice that, that maybe isn't the greatest voice, but they, they lead worship and your heart is just broken for the gospel, right? That's when you get to see, like when your heart is moved, that's an indication of someone else's spiritual gift. All right, moving on to point three, right? The gifts are intended for the church. And I just want to read right now uh, verse number 12. And so it says this, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And so rather than reading the rest of these, I just want to sum it up. Uh, Paul, Paul starts to talk about the, just the body, how every part of the body is important, whether you can see it or not, whether you should see it or not. Every part of the body is important. And so we'll pick it up halfway through verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. All right, so what God is saying here, or what Paul is saying here, is that every gift is needed for the church to function well. Just all of them. All the gifts are needed for the church to function well, and, and it works as part of a, a body. And so don't, don't miss the metaphor here, right? So, so um, uh, Chuck Norris. I'm a big Chuck Norris joke fan, right? So, so Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups, right? He does earth downs, right? He's just a, he's just a beast. And so uh, Chuck Norris has the heart of a pacifist in a jar on a shelf in his, 
in his, in his room, right? So, so the heart, right, it doesn't make sense. You wouldn't have a heart in a jar. Your heart is intended to be part of the body. If you had a neighbor that had the perfect mullet, right, so you love this guy's mullet, and you say to him, man, I just, you, your just mullet is awesome. It's like all business in the front, all party in the back, right? Remember this? Uh, and you say to him, I love your mullet, and the next day he goes out and he shaves that mullet, and he leaves it on your welcome mat at your door. I mean, you get up the next day. First you kick it to make it sure it wasn't alive, and then you sweep it up and you throw it away. Because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense that it would not be a part of the body, right? So, so he's saying, look, all these parts are intended for the body. Some things you can see, some, some things you can't see, but they're all part of the body and, in, and intentional. And so these gifts that are in part of the body uh, have to be the gifts that God gave you. That's the one, that's the key. Sometimes in the church, we struggle with things that God hasn't given us, but we have to use the gifts that God has given us and, and, and expand those. And so as we think about, um, I'll just give you a, a scene to kind of put, your, put, your, put in your head. So seasonally, think about this. It's, it's the end of summer, beginning of fall. It's a nice, cool day. Maybe it's 78 degrees. There's, there's no humidity. It's a blue sky with big white clouds, right? Just a, just a perfect day. There's a little bit of a breeze, and the breeze is just barely warmer than the air, and it's just, it's just a perfect day. And so you've got a little guy in your life, so maybe a son or a nephew or, or a, a neighbor, and he's just, he's just this tall, and he says, hey, can we go pick apples? And you say, yeah, that, that sounds great. Let's, let's go pick apples. And so you get in your car, and you drive down the road here to Johnson's Corner Farm, and you hop in, uh, hop on the wagon, and the wagon takes you off, right, the bouncy, ruddy road, a little bit of dust, and it takes you out, and you pull up against, you know, next to an apple tree, and, and uh, Farmer Johnson says, all right, every, everybody off, go, go pick your apples. And you're there, and you realize that, you know, Johnny's just not quite tall enough to reach that apple. So you say, oh, it's okay, Johnny. I, I brought an apple for you. And so you take out an apple, and you walk over to the base of the tree at about the right height, and you take out a hammer and a nail, and you nail an apple to the side of that tree. Doesn't that just feel a little bit disingenuous, right? Like just kind of, you're nailing a lie up against that tree, right? Just so that he can pick an apple off that, that really ultimately is just going to spoil. And so thinking about that, I just want to challenge you with this, this quote from Paul David Tripp. He says this, Bearing any other fruit other than what is from God is like walking up to an apple tree and stapling an apple to it. It's a challenging statement. And so as we wrap up, I, I just want to ask you three questions. Now the first question is this, what is the kingdom of God like? When you think of the kingdom of God, what, what do you think of it? And, and so if you've been around the Bible a little bit, you know that Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, or the kingdom of God is like a great pearl, or the kingdom of God is like a field, right? What is the kingdom of God like in your life? And, and, I, and I have the privilege of, of working here and being a pastor here, and so I get to see what the kingdom of God is like here. And so the kingdom of God is like Matt and Leah Bronzik, who spend massive amounts of time caring for adults with special needs and kids with special needs here through snow and snow den. That's how they use their gifts. And the kingdom of God is like Joni Troxel, 
this widow who shows up here six, sometimes seven days a week to clean the church. It's just what she does all the time. And the kingdom of God is like Marcy Hutchinson, who spent so much time working with single moms through our amazing ministry called Fresh Hope. That's the kingdom of God. Or the kingdom of God is Mark McGuigan, who spends his time in the community as the fire department chaplain here in Medford. That's the kingdom of God. Or the kingdom of God is like Tim Vibbert, who finished the Timothy Project, this three-year process that we have for men to be able to use their leadership and their influence. And he, he went through and he said, I want to do more, but I don't know what I should do. And he started, God just started to perk his brain about what his grandmother lived through as a Native American growing up on a reservation. And so he started a ministry called Teoshpe Ministries that goes to reservations in South Dakota and takes backpacks for the kids and they, they rebuild things for them and they bring the gospel to the reservation, which is just never allowed. Or it's like Miguel Lemming, who grew up playing soccer in Zimbabwe, and soccer kind of led him out of this impoverished country where the, where the, don't miss what I say, the employment percentage is 10%. It's 90% unemployment rate. And so he's here in the States. He goes back to visit family, and he's at this soccer camp that he's involved in. And, and, and so this uh, little boy comes in, right? He's all uniformed up, right? He's got his shirt on. He's got his shorts on. He's got red socks on. He's got his cleats on. And he walks in. He's ready to play soccer. And this other boy comes in, and he's got his uniform on. He's got his shirt on. He's got his shorts on. He's got no socks and no shoes. He's just barefoot. And he said he's standing there and this, this one boy with shoes and socks walks over and he sits down in the dirt next to this other boy and he takes off one shoe and one sock. And he gives it to the boy who has no shoes and no socks. And that boy sat down in the dirt and put on one shoe and one sock and they went through the camp that way. And so he came back. He was so broken by that moment that he came back and he started a ministry called Ten Toes Africa designed to use soccer as a, as a means to get the gospel into kids and get kids to the states where they can get an education, where they can make an impact in the world just through soccer, right? These are people that are using their spiritual gifts to show what the kingdom of God is like in community and in the church. That's what the community of God is like, or that is what the heaven, the, that is what uh, heaven, the kingdom of God is like, excuse me. All right, question number two. What if the people in your past didn't use their gifts? So we all ended up here now. We all have a past. We all have a present. It's right now. We all have a future. Who knows how long it'll be. But in our past, what if the people in your past that got you to this seat somehow didn't use their spiritual gifts? So what if your neighbor, when you had a baby, didn't bring that meal, right? Or what if when you were down in your luck, that person didn't say, look, this isn't a loan. This is just a couple hundred bucks to help you get by. Or what if that somebody came in the middle of the night and just dropped off groceries at your house without you knowing because they knew you were up against it? What if they didn't do that? Or what if Marty, as an entrepreneur, said, you know what? I just want to make money. What if Marty was just somewhere off, just wealthy beyond belief instead of... Uh, 
having lived a life on a pastor's salary here? What if he didn't plant the church? What if Marty doesn't preach? What if the people with the spiritual gifts of, of technology didn't sit in the room in the back that you may never see, and you may never know that there's a room filled with people back there dedicated to sharing the glory and the gospel through media? What if they didn't do that? What if these guys out here didn't turn on the microphones? What if they didn't use their gifts? And then the third question, what if you don't use yours? Are you a conduit or a catch basin? I love that question. Are you a conduit or a catch basin for your spiritual gift? Is that gift going to flow through you that at some point someone is sitting in here recognizing in the future, talking about their past that ends up at a place right now. You're part of somebody's future's past, right? And they're sitting right here and they say, man, if it wasn't for them, well, what if you don't do that? What happens to the gospel moving forward? There's a verse in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It says, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and he rain righteousness on you. So I'm going to read a quote from A.W. Tozer that just, it's just rich. Somebody read this. Here are two kinds of ground, fallow ground and ground that has been broken up by the plow. The fallow field is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes a familiar landmark to the crow and the blue jay. Had it intelligence, it might take a lot of satisfaction in its reputation. It has stability. Nature has adopted it. It can be counted upon to remain always the same while the fields around it change from brown to green and back to brown again. Safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know, because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposition to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence is open to admit the plow, and the plow comes as plows always come, practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised, and broken. But its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up into the daylight, its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. Nature's wonders follow the plow. And I'll just say that there is a seed that God has planted in you. And it is a gift from him 
that needs to be turned over so that it can grow richly, so that you can glorify God. So I want to end this way. If, if we could all stand up, we're just going to stand up and pray. Uh, when I'm done praying, the, 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 uh, the people with this, this amazing spiritual gift around you with yellow lanterns, they're, they're just there to pray for you. So you, you can pray with them. And, and I just want to pray, and then, and then we'll be done for the day. Lord, thank you so much for these men and women that are here. Lord, I, I'm just so excited. It's so, you know, I could stand here for hours and talk about each one of their individual gifts. There are so many people in here that just volunteer and serve in the community, here in the church, in different ministries. We could talk for so long about that. And God, there are others here that just don't have any idea of what their gift is. So God, I just pray that, that you would just help them explore it. They would pray this week, show me, God, just show me. I'll do it. I just don't know where to do it. And that you would show them, God, because you're faithful and you're good and you want to see this gift opened and you want to see the seed grow. And so, God, I just thank you for who you are and for your word and for the fact that like a great giver, you give good gifts. And so we thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.